Welcome back to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 201. We've passed that 200 barrier, and just this week, uh, just this morning, I got a rundown from Spotify of the podcast audience that uses Spotify. So it doesn't include those of you who come in through Google Podcasts or through Apple or through Anchor, which makes the numbers even more significant. But on Spotify in the last year, over 3,000 people have listened to one episode or another. 3,112 different users have uh, consumed part of the podcast in the last year, just on Spotify. If we include the numbers from Apple, Anchor, um, and Google, that number swells to to nearly 7,000 people who've listened to one episode or another of the podcast. Um, About 30 of you have listened to every single episode from episode one to episode 200. Thank you for that. Uh, You are the the audience that I do this for. Um, There are more people who listen to episode two, the intro to, to Revelation, than any other episode. And most people start with episode 85, God Hates Sinners, or does he, from the Gospel of John. And having listened to that one episode, go all the way back and start at episode two, and then begin to listen through the book of Revelation from there. Uh, Romans is the least listened to set so far because it's the newest. Most people listen to Revelation, then in the Gospel of John, then Job, and then the Christmas set is just starting to get traffic again, having taken nearly a year off. And then Romans, the newest one, is the last thing that people are listening to. The analytics are incredible. Um, It's more incredible to realize that about 800 people a week, I'm sorry, 800 people a month, just over 200 people a week, tune into the podcast for one episode or another. 800 different people each month. In the last 30 days, it's been 871 people who've tuned into the podcast from one source or another and listened to one episode or another. So thank you for all of that. Um, You, the people who listen to this, are the reason I bother to do it at all. Otherwise, it's not worth it. If if you record a podcast and nobody listens, it's like throwing a party and nobody comes. Uh, It's just a waste of time. So I'm very grateful to you who have taken some time to sit with me in the car, in your easy chair, in the evening, in the morning, and, and take 20 to 30 minutes of your time and dive in with me to God's Word. Um, because I think there's great benefit in that. So today, we're in Romans chapter 8. And you'll remember that when we left off from chapter 7 last week, I told you we would come back to chapter 7 because it is, uh, it is the way that Paul wrote this, there were no chapter and verse designations, right? It was one long letter to the Romans. And so I want to go all the way back to 721 so that we can make sense of the worship at the beginning 
of Romans chapter 8. So we're going to start in 720, 721, and I'm going to read through it as though there are no verse distinctions or chapter distinctions, so that you get kind of the motion. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my, in my mind, see myself as a slave to God's law. But when I lived in this sinful nature, I was a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, or so then, because in God's spirit I delight and have freedom, and in the law I was a slave to sin and death, because I live by the Spirit, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God accomplished by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He gets back to the point of that wretched man isn't the way I'm supposed to be. That's how I was when I lived according to my fleshly nature. But since Christ set me free from that, I'm not a dichotomous, always at, at odds with myself person. I'm not this person who wants to do the good thing, but always does the bad thing and doesn't want to do the bad thing, but always does it anyway. That's how I lived when I lived in a sinful nature. But when I came to Christ, when I came to God in Christ and God imparted his righteousness to me, he set me free from that body of death that was consuming me, that was rotting me. And so there is 8-1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say there isn't as much condemnation. It doesn't say there's less condemnation. It says there is now then no condemnation. No condemnation. No judgment. No other shoe going to fall. No, no lightning bolt about to strike. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you have surrendered your sin, confessed it, 
asked Jesus Christ to take it from you and made him Lord of your life. You have the power not to sin. You can walk through Walmart and not steal a thing because you're not a slave to that sinful nature that says, ooh, that looks nice. I think I'll take it. And if you think that's not a big thing, turn your television on and watch every night the footage of people stealing from Walmart and Target and Costco and every place else. Sin rules in the, in the fleshly realm of this world. Sin doesn't rule the world, but it rules the flesh of those who are not in Christ Jesus. They are, they are slaves to sin. They don't really, I don't want to say they don't choose. God always holds us responsible for our own choices and our own sin. But they live in darkness. They stumble around in the darkness. As Christians, we have to expect that's the way it's going to be. If I'm walking down the sidewalk and a blind man runs into me and I turn to snap at whoever it is that's run into me, and I see they've got the cane and the glasses and they don't know where they're going. I've got grace for that guy. I don't snap at the blind man. I can't expect him to see me. I can't expect him to avoid running into things. He's blind. Church, we have to start looking at our world in the same way. I don't expect the LGBTQ community to understand the Bible. They don't have eyes for that. They don't have hearts for that. They're blind. And if they run into me and and bump into me in their sin, the last thing they need is somebody to snap at them. They need someone to extend them grace, to take them by the hand and say, here, let me show you. Let me get you to where you're going. Because when we come along some, alongside someone and, and we take their hand and we begin to lead them through the obstacles of life, we win the credibility to speak into their lives. There is no condemnation for you. Why would you condemn someone else? There's no judgment coming for you. There's no other shoe that's going to fall on you if you're in Christ Jesus why would you take your shoe off and beat someone else with it? You would only do that if you weren't really in Christ Jesus because that's not what Jesus would do. So Romans calls us to consider our relationship with Christ and whether or not we're living in the freedom he purchased for us. There is then No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, on the cross, through the person of Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. If you're not standing in your office, study, living room, If you're not pounding on your steering wheel in your car and saying, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Father, hallelujah, and amen, I am free 
then you don't get it yet. It's got to sink in a little bit further. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through him, the law of the spirit who brings you life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Set you free from judgment. Set you free from condemnation. Set you free from ever having to worry that the other shoe is going to fall. Pastor, are you telling me I'm I'm once saved, always saved? No, I'm not. You still have a free will. And some of you haven't yet understood this, and it's kind of new to you, and you're saying, whoa, I, I can be that free? Yes, yes. You can also choose to continue to live in bondage. God's not going to make you be free. He's just going to open the gate. You can, you can run free or not. God's opened the gate in Christ Jesus. There's no bondage for you anymore. There's no judgment coming for you anymore. But if you want to be judgmental and live in judgmentalism, then the promise of Jesus, these are Jesus words, do not judge. For with the same measure that you measure it out, I will measure it back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing a really full measure of what you gave, you'll get back. See, you can choose that bondage if you want, and you can force that bondage on other people. And you can call it Christianity. A lot of people do. Some people call it holiness. I'm holy, so you should be holy. I was reading something the other day. What's the number one attribute of God? And the person was arguing that it's holiness. I would say it's love. God is love. He's not holy if he's not loving. Right? He's not righteous if he's not loving. He's not all powerful if he's not loving. Then all of those things mean something else. They become worse than a caricature. They become this this evil, ugly, dark thing that's not God. If God is not love, he's not any of the other things that we attribute to him. He may impose those things on people if he's not love. But then they're not majesty. They're not righteousness. They're not holiness. They're something else. They're control. They're enslavement. And Paul here is saying... You don't serve a God who enslaves. You serve a God who sets you free. Now you may then choose to serve him of your own free will. Hallelujah. Who wouldn't want to? Because in him there's freedom. In him there's redemption. In him there's forgiveness. In him there's mercy. As long as I walk in Christ Jesus, I enjoy all of that light in my life. Step away from Christ Jesus, which God allows me the freedom to do, and I walk right back into the dark. Who in the world would do that? Only a fool. Am I once saved, always saved? No, but I can be. It's my choice. But only a fool would choose differently. Only a fool would go back to Egypt, having crossed through the Red Sea and seen the miracles of God. Only a fool would turn around and go the other way and go back to the bondage. 
And yet in the desert, the people are continually saying to Moses, did you just bring us out here to die? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? We could have starved to death like this back there. Right? That's the nature of, of sin in us. It pulls us to go back to the bondage of the very thing that was killing us. But through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Because the law was tied to the obedience of the flesh. Because the law depended on on fleshly obedience for its fulfillment. It was weakened by the fallibility of the very people to whom it was given. Because it was weakened to the point that it was powerless. What it couldn't do, God did by sending his own son in the, in the envelope of sinful flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Paul uses the word likeness because he doesn't want you to think that Jesus was sinful flesh. He was flesh. He was real. But he was sinless still. He didn't come to show us how to live how God would live if he were us. He came to show us how we could live in freedom. And then he made it possible by his death on the cross. You see, while Jesus was alive, he was showing us God's intention for humankind. We were supposed to be like that. But it got messed up by sin. And and the people that he's living it out in front of are, are saying, like you and I would say, if I could just be like Jesus, this would be a lot easier. If I could just be like Jesus, I think I would be pleasing to God. And they're right. But until the cross, it wasn't possible. Until we could hide ourselves in the sacrifice of Christ, we couldn't live that righteously. So it's easy to read the Bible and be kind of hard on Peter and and the, the disciples, Thomas. Really easy to be hard on the Pharisees. Sadducees. But you see, what's available to you and I was not yet available to them because Jesus hadn't died on the cross. The reason that he shouts in victory from that cross is that he looks out over the people, the harassed, helpless, shepherdless people standing at the foot of the cross, and he understands for them and for everyone like them who will ever live on the face of the earth He is paying the price to not have to live in slavery to that bondage ever again. Amen. What the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, to pay the final price. And so, in that sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned, means put to death. He put to death the sin that rules the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might then be fully met in us. At that point, the law was fulfilled. The covenant was met. When Christ died on the cross and redeemed us from sin, the law was fulfilled. And it kind of falls away. Back to his discussion about the marriage covenant. 
We get married and it's for better, for worse, for sickness and in health till death us do part. And when death parts us, that covenant is over. We don't discard it. It's been fulfilled. It's been paid off. It's been lived out. What Paul is telling you is that the covenant of the Old Testament, the law, those Ten Commandments, they've been fulfilled. You can live above that now. You don't need those laws to tell you how to live. You walk through your day and you don't covet and you don't lie and you don't cheat and you don't steal and and you keep God first in your life and you love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul because the law that bound you up into less than that is gone and you're free. He did it so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In another place in the Bible, Paul says, just keep in step with the Spirit. Just walk along in the Spirit. Don't lag behind, don't run ahead. Live in the shadow of the Spirit. That's the way of holiness. Live in the love of Jesus Christ, fully experiencing it and fully expressing it. Fully experiencing it and fully expressing it. That's holiness. Anything else is superfluous or sinful. But to experience and to express the love of Jesus Christ in my life as fully as he will empower me to do so, the Bible says, is to be holy, is to be righteous. Am I perfect at it? No, nope, I'm not. Neither are you. But I find that as I get older, and I'm really old now, I find that as I get older, I get better at it. The longer I walk with the Spirit, the better I am at keeping in step with the Spirit. I'm learning the rhythm. I'm learning the cadence of God's work in my life, of God's work in other people's lives, in God's work in my world. I begin to see it more clearly because I'm becoming more accustomed to it. I know where to look now because I no longer live according to the flesh. But more and more I live in the spirit of Jesus Christ. And the whole purpose of, of my life, of this podcast, of my ministry, is to invite you to just come walk with us, to just fall in and keep in step.